This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Money Talks is always available to take your personal finance questions, but if you need one-to-one assistance with your investing, who can you choose? Do you need an advisor, a broker, an agent? We'll discuss the different types of investment professionals today on Money Talks. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Nancy and Ryder. Hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so what about uh, financial news uh, this past week? Well, Kevin, uh, you know, we're just bouncing from one fence post to the next, depending on the news of the day. And uh, last Friday, markets retreated almost 3% because we were seeing spikes in the coronavirus. Fast forward uh, through the weekend till Monday, and of course, the virus is still with us, but we got some good news on housing, and we bounced up one and a half to two percent. Um, pending ho- home sales increased over 44 percent. That's excellent news. It shows a bounce up, and of course, a lot of that is because our interest rates on mortgages are so low right now, hovering in the low three percent range, and so that's enticing people to come in. But bear in mind that the May numbers for this year year are still over 5% lower than they were for May last year. So we're bouncing off our lows, but we still have issues. And this morning, we're kind of mixed. So it's just one day to the next. So we're at the end of a month and halfway through the year. So if we look back, uh, Ryder, what about uh, June? Any thoughts on June from a financial perspective? I know. I was just thinking about that halfway through the year. I know this year has felt like it's taken a long time to get through, but we can start counting down in the days now. Um, I was uh, just recapping since we are halfway through the year, kind of looking at where the markets have gone, you know, early on in the year before in the before times before we knew anything about uh coronavirus before anyone had heard of it the markets were doing well um you know the s&p 500 and nasdaq you know climbed five to ten percent a piece uh in in february but then they collapsed in march and you know you hit the march lows the nasdaq was down about 20 percent s&p 500 down about 30 percent and an index of smaller u.s companies the ones that um you know, they they do less uh, less global business. Uh, they generally a little more debt and a little less cash on hand, and just the smaller companies they were down forty percent. Um, since then, a lot of the market has recovered, although a lot of stocks are still down for the year. So even though we've had a just a fantastic you know growth since then, uh, that doesn't necessarily translate into into uh, gains for the year. S and P five hundred still down about five percent over the year. Small company stocks again still down about fifteen percent. So um, you know often we look at those as. They have more potential. They have more room to grow. Uh, over the long term, we generally do expect small companies to grow more. But I think right now what they're facing is they're having higher compliance costs with, uh, with coronavirus. They are companies that are less likely to have had you know, fully operational online. 
Um, so they just have they just have higher costs and they're facing a, a, a little fewer uh, some more restrictions that than the larger companies. Go ahead, Nancy. Um, oh, go ahead, Nancy. I don't have anything okay. to add. I'm sorry. I thought it sounded like you wanted to jump in there. My bad. <laughs> Just, uh, no. One, you know, one other thing. Actually, this is Nancy's. This is one of Nancy's favorite things. I feel like I'm 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 stealing a little shine from her. So if you want to uh, say something, shout, Nancy. But the unemployment uh, unemployment report from uh, from the BLS, the unemployment situation, which we talked about. Did we talk about that last week or a couple weeks ago? The unemployment situation report, just full of fantastic data about the economy uh, and folks working, uh, just split out in all different ways, is coming out this Thursday. And so that will reflect back on the month of June. And we're going to get, you know, it's going to tell us what our unemployment rate is, of course, with all the caveats that we discussed before. But one thing we've been watching a lot and talking about a lot is just the unemployment claims. And, you know, at its peak, we had, you know, about 25 million uh, unemployment claims. That's that's continuing claims, not not just 25 million in a single week. And now we're down to about 19 million. Uh, So that's obviously, you know, a lot of people either getting to work or, you know, falling off the claims list. But we will get an update to that on Thursday. And then, of course, with the employment situation, we will get a much more detailed reflection on what indeed was happening in the workforce over the month of June. And Kevin, I will jump in here to say um, the Mississippi Unemployment Commission has an app that you can use if you are filing for unemployment, if you are having to certify every week, you can find the app at the number two and then file, F-I-L-E, and then U-I. So two, file, U-I, look for that app, which will make it easier for you to certify each week so you can keep that uh, money coming through if you are unemployed at this time. All right, very good. Uh, today we're going to be talking about where you can go for one, one-on-one assistance with your personal finance matters. But before we do that, we have a phone call to get to. We say good morning to Shirley in Starkville. Go ahead, Shirley. Good morning. Thank you for your program. Um, I'd like to know, um, in times past, it has... Uh, been sort of a rule of thumb uh, in terms of refinancing um, homes, uh, mortgages, that uh, there should be, you know, a certain number of percentage points below what one's current mortgage is before you make that consideration like two or two and a half points, uh, percentage points. So what is the rule of thumb now in terms of uh, refinancing a mortgage? Well, I don't think, Shirley, you should use a rule of thumb. I really think you need to do the calculation and figure out dollar-wise what will be the difference in your payment if you refinance. Now, understand that the rates that we're seeing right now are some of the lowest we have ever seen. So this is a good chance for you to refinance and grab a lower rate. I'm going to qualify that because you're not going to do that if you're planning on moving in a couple of years because there is a cost to refinance. 
all of that gets rolled in. So you have to think about how long does it take for me to make up the cost of refinance and still end up with extra in my pocket. But this is a good time. So don't worry about the rule of thumb of 2%, which is what we used to hear. Do the calculations or get someone to do the calculations for you to figure out what is the difference in your payment. Be very careful when you do those calculations that you make sure you look only at the difference in principal and interest because, of course, your property taxes and your insurance will be added on top of that. So you want to be able to compare easily. Right. Okay. Thank you. I think that's a good point when you, uh, Nancy said the cost of the refinance, be very upfront when you ask somebody uh, because, you know, sometimes you can say, oh, hey, I'd like to refinance. This is my balance. This is my current rate. And they'll just immediately jump to showing you, oh, I could save you this much uh, with, with a new loan. But you do want to ask, you know, they have a fee for doing that loan. Uh, there's, you know, maybe an appraisal. There's various fees involved. And of course, the size of your loan also matters. You know, saving, you know, 1% on a $250,000 loan is a lot more of a dollar savings than, you know, saving 1% on, say, you only have $50,000 uh, left on your loan. So look at that, the dollar savings you're going to get, you know, in your first year, first couple of years, and compare that to the dollars that you'll have to spend. To, to refinance. So that's, an, that's another aspect to look at. All right, Charlie, thank you so much for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Uh, you know, on Money Talks, we do take those personal finance questions each week, but sometimes you need more one-on-one assistance. So, Nancy, what I'm going to do is kind of throw out a couple of professionals who might could answer investing questions, and you could tell them kind of what they are and when, what, what area of expertise they might have. Uh, the first one, a registered financial professional. Well, this covers a lot of different types of financial professionals. And let me back up and say, Kevin, that over the last few years with changes in the laws, we've had a lot of people become more educated about the term fiduciary. And a fiduciary is an advisor or a person who is required to put your interest ahead of their own. And so when you talk to someone, you need to ask them if they are a fiduciary. Um, We at New Perspectives are fiduciaries. We are registered investment advisors. But there are other people who are also registered, but they're registered under another system. They are brokers, um, and they may be under what's called FINRA. And they will be operating under the suitability standard, which is a lower standard. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that you need to understand the difference. Most of those people are being paid by commission, and most of the registered investment advisors are paid based on a fee or percentage of assets. So be careful about that. It's really important to know how are you being paid, and are you a fiduciary? All right. Reminder that you can always uh, send in a question for our experts via email. It's money at mpbonline.org. We're going to continue our discussion about choosing an investment professional after the break, and we'll talk about the, who oversees the more than 500,000 brokers across the country. We'll have that bit of information for you. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts of Money Talks. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Uh, Nancy mentioned FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. They're an independent, non-governmental organization that writes and enforces the rules governing registered brokers and broker-dealer firms in the U.S. Their website is FINRA, F-I-N-R-A dot org. And Nancy's helping us understand uh, sort of the various uh, 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 ways uh, you can go to get one-on-one financial assistance and sort of their areas of expertise. We talked about registered financial professionals. Nancy, next on the list, investment. Advisors, And here again, Kevin, this incorporates a large group. Uh, they can be registered investment advisors like we are. Uh, they can be an investment advisor that is actually a broker registered through strictly FINRA. Um, so all kinds of different types of people and very fuzzy names given to all of this. And I think for anybody looking for help, you need to find out um, what is this person's education, what kind of credentials do they have. Um, It often helps to talk to other people who have advisors. Many of the people we work with, when we look at the the variety, it looks like a cobweb there because so many people come to us because they have friends or family members who've used us. So that's helpful to talk to other people and who have you used And you want to make sure that you can find someone you can be comfortable with. You want to know that they have some expertise, some education, credentials, but you want to be able to have enough comfort with them that you can just spill out your financial life because that's a very intimate subject. And be able to trust that person, they will give you the best advice based on your needs. So I guess I, what I hear you saying is kind of don't be encouraged or scared off by the various titles that we give some of these and that we'll talk about. But, again, do some research, investigating, uh, and then possibly reach out to get that one-on-one connection to see if it's a good fit. Right. And you know the way the business works, most people don't realize this, just about anybody can hang out a shingle. Um, you can pass a basic test and get started. Um, that doesn't mean you have credentials. It doesn't mean you have education or qualifications. So be very, very careful when you um, sit down with somebody. Uh, the next group, I think, is somewhat new to the personal finance area, and that is uh, insurance agents. Well, and that is because we had the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act. And the Glass-Steagall Act um, happened in the 1930s, I believe it was, to keep all of these different areas of finance separate. 
And when that was repealed, then everybody started stepping on each other's toes. So you can walk into the bank now and you're going to find somebody there who can talk to you about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, um, help you with financial planning, um, sell you insurance. Now you can walk into your insurance agent's office and they may also be talking with you about investments. So all of these different ones are stepping on each other, crossing over. You need to make sure they are, again, properly educated, credentialed, um, and that you are comfortable with them. All right. What about an accountant? Well, there aren't as many accountants in the area, uh, even though we do see accounting firms that have a department that handles a lot of investments. But we as investment advisors, we often talk about this circle that we have to work with. We want to talk with our clients' accountants, and the accountants need to be talking to us so that we can best help people as far as what investments should they choose, how should they set up accounts to keep their taxes low. We also want to be talking to attorneys because those attorneys can help us with estate tax issues, all kinds of family issues. The circle of professionals need to be talking to each other. And so that's why when we sit down with someone, we ask them, you know, who, who is your CPA? Do you have an attorney? And we try to get permission to talk to those people and have conversations so that we give them the best advice overall. All right. And the last uh, group on our list, lawyers. Right. And as I mentioned, um, if you're talking about tax attorneys or estate attorneys, those are people who have that piece of knowledge that can help with your situation. All right, Ryder, let's uh, bring you into the conversation. You mentioned to Money Talks producer Liz Gill that you've Uh been filling out the form CRS for New Perspectives. Uh, Tell us about the CRS form. Yes, so the CRS is a a new regulatory form that we have to fill out. Uh, So all investment advisors kind of uh, who have a similar shop to us, they have to form, fill out a form ADV. And I'm pretty sure that just is the first three letters of advisor is what they did there. Uh, and that is that kind of goes through and discloses all sorts of information about it. It's, very, it's a very cut and dry form. It says, you know, how many people work in your office? Where are all of your locations? Who's in charge? What do you do? What sort of clients do you work with? It's very, uh, it's very straight questions, answers, box checking, select for multiple choice sort of thing. And then they decided that they needed a slightly more consumer-friendly version. So there's the ADV Part 2, which is called the brochure. And that is the plain English version of the ADV. Uh, so it, it's just a little more easy to read. Uh, the font isn't so unbearable, things like that. And they've recently decided I believe last year they decided that we needed an even shorter, even more readable form. And this is the form CRS, the uh, Customer Relationship Summary. And it is uh, required to keep it to two pages and a few, just a few very clear headings and also sample questions that a customer uh, might ask or a client uh, may ask. Uh, just, Just general information about the business. Uh, and so anytime you go to someone seeking uh, help with your personal finances, you could ask them for the CRS and they should be able to give it to you or, or coming in, it's going to be that way? Absolutely. So everyone is required to have one. Uh, today is the deadline for filing them. Um, I finished ours up last week. And 
you are required to deliver it. You're required to deliver it to all new clients, but you are also required to have it available for anyone who requests it. Um, they uh, encourage you to have it on your website where it's very easy for folks to find it. Uh, they encourage you to uh, be able to deliver it electronically uh, for folks who agree to receive an email from you, but also physical copies. If somebody calls the office, if somebody writes to the office, if somebody emails us and asks for one, we are required to deliver it to them. And, and, that it, and it is designed to be a much smaller, like I said, it's, it's one page front and back. So it is, it is supposed to be very easy to deliver to somebody. And, you know, just looking at it, it, it reads well. It's divided up into nice paragraphs. It has nice headings. So that's, that, it's good for that. Um, what about uh, fees? Uh, what are some of the fees that uh, some brokers or advisors charge for their services? Yeah, so, and, and the fees, there is a heading on the CRS that just says, what fees will I pay? And we have to start out with that. Uh, so, for instance, for our firm, just looking at our CRS, we list, you know, what our what the maximum fee for us would be. Uh, so, you know, we charge, you know, 1% of assets, and, you know, that rate goes down as your account grows. And so we kind of describe how that works, how that happens. Um, some advisors, you know, they may charge a flat rate. They may have minimums. They may have, uh, they may only charge uh, for hourly work. And so they detail in there how much they're charging and how they determine that charge. But you also need to include in there other fees that the client may pay because, you know, while they are paying us directly for our management, for our advice, for all of the work we do for them, you know, investments in your account, you know, they may have fees involved, especially if you're invested in a mutual fund. Uh, and there may be fees for trading. Uh, and then I know you all mentioned before uh, insurance agents. Uh, you know, if somebody does do insurance products, there will often be a commission or fees or restrictions involved there. And, and that's something that they need to disclose as well. Uh, what about uh, if their firm has been disciplined? Is there a section on the CRS where people can learn about a disciplinary history? There is uh, under the heading, do you or your financial professionals have a legal or disciplinary history? And so that's where anyone has to disclose uh, those, any disciplinary actions. Again, all of this stuff, it has been on the form ADV. It has been on the form ADV part two, but it's just condensed and made easier to read with a few guidelines here. And so it also offers you questions to ask about each of these headings and the question to ask uh, under the legal or disciplinary history is, as a financial professional, do you have any disciplinary history for what type of conduct? And so that's just meant to kind of open up, make sure you, you ask the question in a pointed enough manner that the advisor needs to disclose uh, what their disciplinary history is. Um, I think to a lot of people in the South, uh, SEC means Southeastern Conference, and we think of football and basketball and sports. But <laughs> in the financial world, it's quite a bit different and is important for folks uh, who might have a complaint or a question. Uh, the Yes. Uh, in finance, the SEC or the Securities and Exchange Commission is, is maybe almost as important as the SEC is <laughs> to Southerners. Uh, I think you're right. The Securities and Exchange Commission, they are um, – uh, you know, they have a very large reach and pr pr cover, touch pretty much everything dealing with 
again, securities and exchanges. So that does include, you know, the financial industry, financial uh, professionals who register through FINRA. Um, essentially, you know, one relationship, one way we see that relationship is that FINRA is the one who sets out all of the regulations and who we have our interface with, who, you know, when there's when we have to make a regulatory filing, we do it through FINRA. Uh, however, the SEC kind of is the one who, who has the laws. Um, they're the government body there. They, have, they set the laws. And also, you know, if you're a certain size, you register directly with the Securities and Exchange Commission. They also regulate, um, in general, who may you know, buy and sell securities and also dealings with the exchanges there, which are you know, very much out of the reach of most uh, individual investors, uh, but they deal with a lot of those matters as well. All right. You've done a good job of sort of outlining what's on the CRS, but if someone's listening and wants to learn more about it, is there a website they can go to? Absolutely. So, uh, investor.gov slash CRS has uh, kind of a video explaining what this form CRS is and uh, questions, you know, frequently asked questions. Well, I guess they're not frequently asked because nobody's asked these questions yet because it's not out yet. Uh, but it has some questions you need to know about the form CRS. And of course, if you deal with a financial professional, they are now required, uh, most of them are required to have. Um, have a form CRS, and if you ask for it, they should deliver it to you. So, so that's another place you can have that. And, and again, the, the form CRS has about a dozen sample questions that you are required to have on there. There, sample questions, form questions, and so those are really good questions to ask your advisor or your broker. We're going to continue our discussion about investment professionals in just a bit. Are you looking for a way to teach your kids about money? We've got a website for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life's disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. MyMoney.gov has information, games, and fun facts about money, savings, and planning for the future for kids and those who want an easy way to learn. Uh, before we move on, uh, Nancy Ryder, have you ever been to the MyMoney.gov uh, website? And if so, what are your thoughts about it? I haven't. Have I've you been Ryder? to a lot of websites, Kevin. I probably have <laughs> been to that one, but I, you know, it's it's not on my uh, it's not on my bookmarks list though. Uh, there's a lot of. I will say, you know, there are a handful of good, um, uh, either either federal government or government kind of, uh, you know, supported websites that do have good information 
four children. I believe the uh, Consumer Finance and Protection Bureau even has, uh, you can get information. If you're a teacher, you can get information for kind of a classroom curriculum or maybe lesson plans to teach about money. Uh, and these are very important. I mean, these are super important. People say all the time, we just need more financial education. Um, and so there are uh, the Federal Reserve also puts out oh, all yes. kinds of great information for a variety of age ranges, um, videos, um, text information. You can go to the Federal Reserve site and uh, look for information on educating uh, children uh, along the uh, in the area of finance. So, again, you know, we've talked about before the importance of uh, kids being financially literate. But, Nancy, again, maybe if you would kind of reiterate why you think it is so important to have your kids knowledgeable about money and personal finance. Well, and I think it has to be a gradual process. And the most important thing you can do is to model good behavior, which means staying within your means, living within your means, um, not using credit so much, and talk to them about those things. But beyond that, and, and I will say my parents taught me that, about living within your means, but I never learned about the investing side. And so once they hit school age, that's when you can really start talking to them and teaching them about stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And our Mississippi Economic Council even runs a stock market game so that our school age children can learn about these things. And if you can learn about investing, about how to make your money then work for you, that's when you start to build wealth. And Ryder, here's an email I think that you've answered, but we will discuss a little bit here on the air as well. It says, I have a grown son who's been uh, treated for alcoholism and addiction for most of 2019, well-educated and a licensed attorney in Mississippi. Uh, once out of residential treatment, he signed with the Mississippi Bar's LIAP program, which provides support and accountability. However, it took a few hours a day at first. Now that he's healthy and at his own time, he's not been able to find employment. He currently does as much online tutoring as possible, but it's not enough. I'm still working and supplementing his income as needed. And listening to your program this morning, I wonder if he'd be eligible for any unemployment benefits. Yes. And, uh, you know, I cannot stress enough that the episode of it's, it's this fantastic show on the radio. It's also podcasted. It's called Money Talks on mpbonline.org. Uh, we had an episode a number of months ago about uh, with the state unemployment directors. I cannot stress enough how much of a fantastic resource that's even been for me. I look back to that when I answer these questions, so I would encourage folks to listen to that. But basically, yes, apply for unemployment. Now, one issue here is it sounds like he may not have worked much or at all during the look back period where they look back on, you know, what is, because they look back 15 to 18 months to see what your income has been in the past. So if he hadn't worked at all, that might be an issue. Uh, But again, the state requirements are one thing. And you can look at the state requirements, you can say, oh, I don't meet these state requirements. But the federal requirements are different. They're a lot more lax, and there's a lot more money behind them. That's that $600 that we've talked about. And importantly, I just want to remind folks that uh, that $600 a week uh, federal benefit for unemployment that is going to continue until the end of July. Uh, we're not quite sure where it's going to go after that. Uh, the, you know, the only provision so far, it ends at the end of July. 
uh, there's, you know, there's call, call your senator, call your congressperson uh, to have, the, you know, ask them to extend it, tell them how important it is for everybody in the economy uh, and not forcing folks to go back to work when it is still not safe for them to do so. Uh, so that that's 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 a different pot of money, and that's a much more generous pot of money than the state. Uh, but it must you have to apply through the state uh, unemployment claim system. And Kevin, I've been encouraging everyone: if you think that you have lost income because of the coronavirus, apply, 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 Absolutely. and try. And what we're finding, as we've worked with several folks to go through this process, is um, that the state is being fairly lax on their side on who they approved because the CARES Act expanded that to cover um, gig workers, uh, self-employed people, contract workers, those kinds of people. And all you want to do is be able to grab that minimum weekly amount from the state, which is $106 a week, because the real benefit is what they're adding in federal uh, amounts, which is $600 a week that dates back to March. And so if you can say it happened way back in March, I lost income, they will then backdate and um, give you a lump sum representing all of those weeks. As Ryder mentioned, that runs out the end of July, but go ahead and file. Nancy, so suppose you've done, uh, you've selected an investment professional that you want to work with, uh, and you set up a one-on-one meeting with them. Uh, what are some things that you should ask them about? You might have done some research, but is it a good idea to maybe repeat some of those and and get that same information or maybe additional information in a face-to-face meeting? Yes, I do think it's important. Um, Remember, when you start talking about your finances, that's a very personal situation, and that's an an intimate topic. And I think it's important to look somebody in the eye and ask those questions and see if you're comfortable with that person. And we do this a lot with people who just, they just want to do an interview of us. And um, typically, we don't charge somebody if they're just asking us, how do you do business? Um, How long have you function, what, are you, what is your education, what are your credentials, um, what, what you're going to find with a face-to-face meeting is how that advisor approaches you and your situation. What are they interested in? Um, and um, what is their philosophy? What types of investments do they use? How are they paid? A critical question to ask. How are they paid? And they should be very upfront about that. And um, you want to set expectations at that point. What would they do for you? What uh, things will they help you with as far as your financial life? But looking at somebody in the eye and seeing if you are comfortable, if you trust that person enough to really lay everything out. And it's really important that you do lay everything out and don't hold back because they can't help you in the best way if they don't know stuff. You know, to me, that that's a, a similar to a doctor's visit. Again, that's a very personal, your, your health, you know, that's a personal discussion and it can sometimes maybe be um, embarrassing or someone b- might be a little reluctant to, to share. But again, as you said, if you're going to get the most out of uh, you know, professional an investment advice professional, you need to be willing and ready to kind of lay all the cards out on the table. So you probably need to do a little, not necessarily soul searching, but, you know, kind of thinking about what it is that you're going in for before you actually get into that meeting. And that's what I usually tell people, Kevin, when they call and say, I just want to come in and talk to you. Um, I will ask them to, to think about what are their questions? What are their goals? What is it they want from me? 
And also be aware that just like your doctor, we are under privacy rules and regulations. Whatever we discuss in our meeting, no one else knows about. Um, in our office, we ha- even have a situation. If you haven't signed a form that says it's okay for us to talk to your CPA or to your um even to a spouse, we just pretend like we don't know you if those people call. Um, that's how tight the privacy is. So you And we do that so that we can gather the information we need to help you in the best way possible. We're going to continue talking about investment advisors after a quick break. Our producer found a website this week that seems to answer almost any question you have about anything. That's quite a claim, Liz. But we'll tell you what it is next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. that you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. So that catch-all website, it's USA.gov. It's an online guide to government information and services, information about U.S. history, the Earth environment, your health, in addition to money, laws, and jobs. Looks like we've got a caller on the line, so let's invite John from Mobile into our conversation. Good morning, John. Go ahead. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, and thank you for that USA.gov. That may help me. Um, last Tuesday, I'm sorry, last Wednesday, I was informed by a hospital in a distant city that my brother was uh, had been admitted to the ICU unresponsive uh, as the result of a heart attack. And since then, I've been dealing with them. But at some point, I'm going to have to find out about his business stuff. Um, So far as I know, he only had uh, a job, you know, lived a small life, uh, enjoyed life where he was. But I need to locate, uh, I need to try to contact his place of business, his uh, employer, and find out about his uh, finances, assets, and obligations, and so forth. Um, is this would would your program be the one that I would call, or uh, is there John, let me ask another you, avenue? Let me ask you this, John: um, Is he still living? He is literally still living. He will not have a normal life, according to um, doctors and hospice uh, representatives. And uh, I'm, just last I'm night, sorry. I yeah, yeah I, it's well. We were not close, and he, uh, although I was trying to get closer to him, and he uh, did not volunteer information beyond the fact that he had transferred his assets into some uh, credit union because, you know, it was a better interest. But I have no information on uh, the business side or financial side of his life, and at some point I'm going to have to find out. 
I'm assuming that because of this, you don't have his power of attorney. I, I guess not. Um, but no, no. I was, they, they found me. The hospital found me because uh, I was listed in his medical information for a previous visit to the hospital. I, I think okay. that's what it was. But being listed as, as someone to contact if something happens to you does not give you power of attorney. Um, that is a so. legal process. Um, what you're probably going to do, if he is not able to make decisions on his own right now, if he is not able to sign things, um, you may have to find a local attorney where he lives in that state and check with them to see what is the process for you to be able to take over handling his affairs, because he has not awarded that to you at this point. Um, if he were deceased, frankly, it would be easier because then you are probably one of his um, heirs that you could handle things. But it's more complicated when someone is still with us but not able to make decisions and take care of their own affairs. That's why having a power of attorney is so important, to be able to do that while you are in sound mind and you can choose whoever you would want to handle things in case you can't. But I would suggest to you to find an attorney in the state where he is and uh, see what your options are based on that state's laws. All right. Okay, thank you. Um, Any tips on uh, what to look for in an attorney, or do I just get online and, (laughs) you know, take take my chances? Well, you might want to look for um, elder attorneys. They probably have some experience in this area. If you went with a tax attorney, they're very expensive, and that's probably not what you need. But um, there are um, elder attorneys. They're certified as such. We have some here in Mississippi. And this is a situation that they would probably be familiar with. It's how to approach it. You know, if you just went to the credit union and said, I'm his brother, they're not going to talk to you. They're not going to give you information. They're not allowed to. So, <laughs> well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah. Good luck. I'll follow your recommendation. Uh, John, <clears throat> before we let you go, our producer, Liz Gill, is also the host of In Legal Terms. It's our show that comes on right after us. Uh, but, Liz, could he send an email to maybe get some information? If you would, tell him what he could do on that. Okay. Yeah, Liz says if you'll send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org, uh, they might be able to give you some additional assistance as well. Okay. Thank you very much. John, thanks for the call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. So right earlier, we mentioned Investor.com, and you kind of gave us an overview. If you would, maybe go in and give us some more information about uh, some of the information that you can find on that website. Well, uh, actually, first, I just want to back up a little bit and address uh, John's uh, issue. Uh, and, and that's just a terrible situation to find yourself in. I'm so sorry that you're having to deal with that. You know, even when you say, you know, oh, wasn't that close to my brother? Dealing with somebody else's finances in any capacity is, you know, not only can be a huge emotional burden, but just a huge, uh, it can take up a lot of your time and a lot of your, um, your, your mental ability just to track these things down. But we have gotten a lot of questions about that before. And so I, just a few things for his situation, what he might be looking for. I don't know his brother's, you know, kind of health feature, but might be looking for something like a, a conservatorship. I'm not 100% sure, but again, an elder law attorney would, uh, or, or even just, you know, maybe a family law, but elder law is probably right. Uh, Nancy had a great suggestion there. 
but how to find and if he has a current if he had a current attorney uh then that would also be a good place to start and you know i would start with anything you could find you know if you know where his his place of work is ask them where they deposit his paycheck you know once you find that bank ask them where he you know does he transfer money out to uh to an investment firm from there you know where is his money you know you can I'm going to interrupt here because they're not going to tell you. Well, what they're I'm not going to tell you. Once, you know, they cannot tell you. His, his employer cannot reveal that information. Down. I mean, if he were, if he say got a conservatorship or did get that permission, that is where he would start. I'm not, I'm not saying you know, call him up today. I mean, you're right. They're not going to give that information. But once he is able to start on the process of finding information, that's where I would start. And looking at statements, looking for transfers out, he's going to have mail coming to his house. Uh, if you can get access to his email, you know, there's just access to these things. These are um, where to start. And also, this is just highlights a, a really great point. No matter who you are, um, no matter if you have a family uh, who you're providing for or not, uh, who you have anybody who may be the person to take care of you, uh, planning in advance is super important. Even if it's just having a list of contacts, like here is the name of my, here's my tax, uh, here's my tax guy, my accountant, uh, here's my personal lawyer or somebody I've used for legal uh, documents before. And you know, if something should happen to me, they're the first people you can turn to because they're going to know a lot. And again, you, especially with a lawyer, they're going to be the one who's able to help you get that permission to start handling all that affairs. So that's, I just wanted to kind of add that uh, to the, to the pile of suggestions. Since we do hear that uh, a good bit. So we anyway, what was the question? You asked? Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up because we're sort of on a roll here. <laughs> we've only, and we've okay. only got about a minute left. A power of attorney, Nancy, you mentioned that. How do you go about getting one and, and what should it say? Well, you can visit a local attorney. Um, you can also uh, do a lot of these legal forms online. And all you're doing is you are giving somebody else permission to act as if they are you in case you can't do things. They will sign all of your forms. They will be able to access everything. So you need to make sure it's somebody you totally trust. Now, a power of attorney doesn't give them license just to take all of your money because they are under guidelines. Again, they have to act in your best interest, back to that fiduciary thing. And they have to do the things that you would do. So they're just taking care of your business. And this happens a lot in a situation where somebody is as we uh, heard from John, someone who has a heart attack and suddenly they're incapacitated. But it can be a slow incapacitation where someone is losing cognitive abilities and they can't really handle their own things. And you need to do this before you get to the point where you can't sign over something. So it needs to be part of your will. Uh, you can have a medical power of attorney. You can have the regular uh, durable power of attorney where all of that is part of a package so that somebody can help. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Or just listen to the podcast. Search for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taft, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 